Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. All right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. And on today's show, we're going to be talking plenty more KU football. That includes Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. He'll join us at 340 Kevin Flaherty at 440, and we've got a couple more editions of RCST Trivia coming at you today. All I'm going to say, one of the matchups went to four overtimes, so you're going to want to stick around and tune in to RCST Trivia coming up. Kansas DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to the Sunflower State. It won't be long until you can bet on all of your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. To celebrate, all new customers will receive $100 in free bets when you sign up using code KLWN. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. I can only imagine what you would do with that amount of uh, free betting. Nick, what is the uh, thing you're most excited to bet on once uh, everything gets, I guess, I know, I know it's legalized, but once we can actually like do it? Um, that's a good question because I think mo- generally most people's answers would be KU football, obviously, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like it's going to be quite ready in time to do something like that. Uh, so my favorite thing to bet on, or hopefully I'll have the opportunity to bet on, Alabama football, one half. Okay, <laughs> they are they absolutely dominate in the first half. I think if you look up their record, uh, one half spread for Alabama football, it's like ridiculous. It's insane. So there's your little betting tip for today. Love it. Alabama one half because they always dominate in the first half. Then they just you know they just give up in the second half because they already won the game. But Alabama one half. That's my that's my betting tip for today. Well, now that you bring it up, like I, you could just envision all these games where they start up a forty nine nothing and then they win fifty two to seven or something. Exactly. And it's better than that than to take the overall spread, which might instead of being you know your minus thirty one in the first half, maybe it's only minus forty for the game. Yep. Take the first half. So I like yep. that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Sign up using code KLWN to get $100 in free bets to use once mobile sports betting hits Kansas. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. Subject to regulatory licensing requirements, one per customer, $100 issued as four free $25 bets. No purchase necessary for sweepstakes. Void where prohibited. Ends first day. DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas. See terms at DKNG.co slash KS. So one thing I want to talk about today is, you know, what happens if Jalen Daniels is just fine? Obviously, if Jalen Daniels goes through this season and struggles and the KU quarterback position ends up being a hole to what it has been in, in years past, then that's not going to be great. KU is probably only going to win one or two games this season. But 
Uh, I think the more optimistic side of Jalen Daniels is that he could possibly be, I don't know, a top five, six, seven quarterback in the Big 12, that he's not the worst in the league, that he's a couple uh, ahead of a couple other guys. And if that happens, I think, as I've kind of said before, like, you know, you're probably going to win four-ish games, somewhere in that range, three to five games, if that does happen with Jalen Daniels. It's hard to envision you having really good quarterback play and it not turning into at least a couple more wins than maybe you're used to. But what happens if he's just somewhere in between there? What happens if he is just fine? Like, you know, he goes out there and he, he throws for 2,000 passing yards, which I think he would be only the second quarterback uh, joining Carter Stanley since Todd Reesing to even throw for 2,000 yards. So on its own, that would be one of the better marks we've seen at KU. But you compare that nationally, you compare that in the conference, that's not like a number that jumps off on the page. Or, you know, 15 or 16 passing touchdowns. Again, some of the better numbers we've seen from a Kansas quarterback, but not great compared to the rest of the conference. And maybe he has a bit of a turnover issue. Like we did see uh, on average almost an interception per game he was in last year, and he throws 10, 11, 12 interceptions. And so it's just kind of... Uh, you know, again, improvement from where the KU quarterback position has been in years past, but it's not this big jump that you're kind of hoping for at the position. What does that mean? Derek, I want to sort of answer your question by looking at 2018. I think mm -hmm. 2018 Kansas football is a year that will kind of maybe give you a little bit of insight into the possibilities of your question. 2018, KU went 3-9, and nine, and they were pretty competitive in a number of games down the stretch. That was the year they, they were driving against Kansas State late, down by four. Peyton, Peyton Bender, Bender just yep. dropped the ball. Yep, they yeah. scored 40 against Oklahoma. It was it was a competitive game. I don't think really they were ever going to win the game, but it was competitive. Puka they, just goes off. Yep, they lost to Texas by seven to end the year. Very competitive in a lot of their games. And when you look at Peyton Bender's stats, here's the answer to your question. Peyton Bender that year, 1,894 yards. So, again, just shy of 2,000 but still was effective, 13 touchdowns. But the critical factor here, he only threw three interceptions in that 2018 season. Now, he had more turnovers with the fumbles and whatnot, but a rating of 118.1. I think if you look at that, kind of what you were suggesting with Jalen Daniels is, if Jalen Daniels is just fine, which I think the stat line that I just read for Peyton Bender, 57% completion percentage, 18, 1,900 yards basically, 13 touchdowns, three picks, like that's pretty, that's just fine mm -hmm. based on what you were just describing. So I think if you look at it from that perspective and you look at what happened with KU that season, they got three wins. They were three and nine. They didn't, you know, they were competitive in a number of their games. And so there you go. I think that could be sort of the correlation of what you look at is, okay, if Jalen Daniels is just fine, if he manages the ball, if he doesn't turn it over a lot, and to further kind of go along with that comparison, you think about the running backs that KU had that year, Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert in the backfield. Coming into this season, same deal for KU. They're going to have some really good running backs, Devin Neal and Kai Thomas, and maybe even Sevion Morrison, right? So I think there's some interesting comparisons you could make when looking at that season and considering what you were just describing as just fine for Jalen Daniels in terms of stats. Peyton Bender pretty much did that. Again, only three interceptions mm -hmm. in that 2018 season. So I think when you look at that, there's a lot of comparisons you could make and say, okay, here's kind of the benchmark of what Jalen Daniels needs to do. If he can, as you said, throw for 2,000 around 2,000 yards, you know, Bender had 13 touchdowns, maybe a few more touchdowns here there for Jalen Daniels. And again, if he, I think the critical factor here is going to be the turnovers, like you were talking about. If he struggles with turnovers and he still has this stat line, it might not be as good. you know. But Because then you look at the Carter Stanley, Carter Stanley season, 24 touchdowns, but he threw for 11 interceptions, right? So that's kind of where I think I'm at right now with this question is, to me, if Jalen Daniels can just manage the game, and again, three wins, I think, Probably, I guess, depending on how you get them, most KU fans would probably accept three wins for this for this upcoming season, which is what they got in 2018 with Peyton Bender. 
So I, I the 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 caveat to that though is. I, I think that probably most KU fans would say they have higher expectations for Jalen Daniels coming into the season compared to if you went up to somebody on the street in 2018 and said, what do you expect out of Peyton Bender? Probably the expectations were not as high. So from if you look at it from that standpoint, Jalen Daniels might have more pressure on him to perform at a higher level than maybe Peyton Bender did and what he ended up performing with in 2018. Yeah, I, I think that's all uh, all good. I, I think that maybe what that shows is with the Carter Stanley versus him. It's like, if you're going to throw for you know, 10-ish interceptions, you better have 20-plus passing touchdowns, right? Versus if you are going to have the lower interceptions. And I think, like, if you gave me just across the board of the Peyton Bender numbers, for instance, you said around 1,800, 1,900 yards, I would take the over on that, I think, uh, for Jalen Daniels. I would take the over on 13 passing touchdowns. I'd also take the over on three interceptions, uh, just based on... He had three last year in three and a half games, right? Yeah. Um, now... Peyton Bender kind of became a, a check down quarterback and that that allows you to maybe not throw as many interceptions. And that team also was great on the defensive end at forcing turnovers. So the combination of those two led to to that success. I know I know three wins doesn't sound like success, but like you were saying, they very easily could have won four or five uh, or maybe even six games with, with some of those other competitive games. And that's the same case with the Carter Stanley one. So that becomes very interesting to me. It's like you just can't middle between the two here, and that would be my worry if you get 15 touchdowns or 12 interceptions. And, you know, maybe like maybe to a certain standpoint, that Peyton Bender type of season would be more beneficial to this team just because if they are going to be more of a run-first team and you don't want to have many mistakes offensively, like maybe that would pair with that better. I just I, I don't see that in his game to only have a, a season where he throws three interceptions. I think that there are going to be times where you have some interceptions that you don't like. Like you think back to the West Virginia game to finish last season when he throws two red zone interceptions, but you're also going to have some wow plays that go with it. I think it's just kind of a, a plus and minus that you have to live with there. I, I will say when you look like around the Big 12, like there's not a lot of clear-cut answers of who the top quarterbacks are who the obvious guys at a lot of these positions um, or, or a lot of these rankings of who's your best quarterback, who's your second best and stuff are going to be. Like, you just go across the board of the teams in the Big 12, right? Uh, Oklahoma, you lose Caleb Williams, you lose Spencer Rattler. I thought Dylan Gabriel was really good at UCF, so I'm assuming he'll come over with a lot of talent around him and he'll, you know, put up a really good season. But it's not like that's just an automatic that he's this, you know, all-American quarterback. Uh, Texas... You have a lot of five-star talent in there, right, with Hudson Card and Quinn Ewers coming over and everything. But, again, it's Texas, and we've seen other five-star quarterbacks <laughs> come in and not really do much for them. Yep. Um, Oklahoma State has kind of the the returning guy at the position. But I don't really I don't really get on board with the, the Spencer Sanders stuff right now. Like He had, what, like 16 touchdowns, 12 interceptions last year? He, I think he led the Big 12 among quarterbacks and interceptions. They had a great defense last year, great running game. He's fine. He's a good dual-threat quarterback, but I, I don't think he's a guy that I look at and say that, like, oh, it's impossible for Jalen Daniels to be as good as him. And, and again, we just go on and on and on down the list. Kansas State, you're losing Skylar Thompson. Um, uh, TCU, I I think their quarterback showed some good stuff last year, but dealing with injuries and stuff. Texas Tech, I don't really know what that's going to look like there. West Virginia, JT Daniels comes in, but he has a lot of flash. Is there much substance there? I don't know. So, uh, again, you go through all these positions. Baylor with, with Jerry Bohannon, he transfers away. They're starting quarterback. I don't really know what to expect at the quarterback position in the Big 12. And and maybe that, that works to KU's benefit because maybe the 
even if this is a season where Jalen Daniels is good, not great, or is mildly successful, but not jumping into that top five quarterbacks, maybe there's not as much of a distance between all those guys and where Jalen Daniels or, or whatever KU gets from the quarterback position is. Yeah, I 100% agree because, right, does Spencer Sanders, if you go around the Big 12 to defensive coordinators and say, does Spencer Sanders make you shake you in your boots or keep you up at night? Yeah, he's fine. Probably not. I mean, most guys say, yeah, he's pretty good, but, I mean, are we really scared of him? Probably not really. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think you hit it on the head by saying, you know, a, a good, not great year from Jalen Daniels this season might end up putting him in the top half of the Big 12. I mean, there's a lot of question marks around the league for for quarterback play. And, and again, just to go back to this that comparison to 2018, when you look at Peyton Bender in 2017, he threw for 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. What happened? K went one and eleven. So I think again, like well, like we were saying earlier, if he can, if Jalen Daniels can be potentially good, not great, but more importantly, limit the turnovers, uh, there's the possibility that they could win multiple games. Uh, now, it's a quarterback-driven game right now, obviously in football, right? So you figure there's going to be a couple games where Jalen Daniels might have to play really well to give you a shot at winning. Right, so he can't necessarily be just good, but not great every single week. There's probably going to have to be some weeks where he steps up and and does make some night make some big plays. And I think he's shown that he's capable of doing that, right? Especially over the last couple games of the season of last season, especially you know in the Texas game and whatnot. So he's shown that flash to be able to step up and make big plays. And 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 again, the the situation here is when you go through the quarterback stats. I mean, Derek, you know this. I mean. At the end of the day, we're we're really grasping at straws here, just for any semblance of <laughs> progress, yeah. of just something something that can give people hope from the quarterback position, right? So, so I mean, it's really just the absolute bare minimum. I think would get most people pretty excited, right? So, if you look at it from that standpoint, Jalen Daniels does not have to do a lot to to impress people. I I don't I don't I think most KU fans would be pretty impressed. To, like I said, if they get four wins and he does pretty well, right? Yeah. So the the bar is very, very low in terms of what he would need to do to say, okay, wow, you know, this guy's developing, right? Yeah, yeah, and and I guess that's what this all circles back to um, is what does that season output have to look like? But I, I think you're right in the idea that, you know, maybe that's the wrong way of looking at it. Maybe that's the wrong way of looking at it in terms of this is what he has to do for the season or, or if it looks like this, if he's a top five guy, they'll win this amount of games. And, and I still think – to a certain standpoint, some of that stuff is true, but maybe it is just more about a week-to-week thing. And I know that's yeah. boring and it's not as exciting to talk about and it's it's very, like, coach speak, like, oh, we're handling it one week <laughs> at a time. But you're right. There's going to be weeks. Like, this isn't going to be something where um, Jalen Daniels every week, let's say he, you know, throws for uh, 24 touchdowns this season, which that would be a high number. But just to use that as a number, that would be two per game. That doesn't mean every game he's going to throw exactly two touchdowns in all 12 of the games. There might be one game where he throws four touchdowns. Might be another where he throws zero and he only completes 48% of his passes and only has 140 passing yards and throws three interceptions. Like, there are going to be tribes and tribulations because there are going to be teams that maybe athletically just completely outmatch Kansas and the offensive line can't block them or the receivers are unable to get open at a consistent rate or Kansas is unable to, to run the ball well on early downs and it puts KU in a lot of third down and eights and third down and twelves that Jalen Daniels isn't in a, a positive position. There are things that go into this that you're right. It is more just about can he have those, I guess, outstanding moments on big plays? Can he have 
those big games in games that are winnable for KU. Like, if you told me Jalen Daniels is going to have a bad game against Oklahoma State and Oklahoma and Baylor, but he's going to perform really well against Iowa State and TCU and West Virginia and Houston and, and your winnable games, that's what you're more so going for here. And so I know you can't go into a season and say, we're fine with you being inconsistent. Just show up for the good games because usually if you're more consistent, that's going to lead to you being more trustworthy to be good in all of those games combined. But that's really what this boils down to. I have one more thing I want to go back to with mm-hmm. this example. A perfect example is we already talked about Peyton Bender in the 2018 season and whatnot. 13 touchdowns, three interceptions. Pretty good, right? Even further example is look at the K-State game specifically. In the K-State game, Bender was 21-34, 232 yards, two touchdowns, with a rating of 138.5. That's a really, really solid game, certainly by KU football quarterback standards, right? But through all of that, he still had the critical play that ultimately lost KU the game. He fumbled it on the game-winning drive, right? So, yes, you can have games where Jalen Daniels might have decent stats, but again— if it's still going to come down to can he make the plays late, and if it's a close game, can he capitalize? And and you know, there's more examples. I mean, just looking at the season stats maybe doesn't give the whole picture of you know, oh well, you can you could be an efficient quarterback and still lose games, right? You you can have a success, you can have a quote unquote successful day by K football quarterback standards, which again is very very low uh, to, to achieve that, and still not and still lose games, right? So I, I don't know if that's necessarily the right approach to look at it for this season. I mean, again, if Jalen Daniels is like 10 of 20 for 100 yards and, you know, one touchdown and two interceptions or something. But, you know, Devin Neal and Kai Thomas have a great game and K ultimately wins the game. Like, are we really going to be that upset? I mean, I think at this point, given this, given the nature of K football, a win is a win, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter how KU is going to get any of the wins that we're talking about right now. It doesn't, I mean, the Tennessee Tech game might be the only exception to that rule. I think if it's if the Tennessee Tech game is a grinded out close game and Jalen Daniels doesn't play very well, right, there's going to be some concern, right? But beyond that game, any other game that KU wins, I don't think most people are going to care how it happens or who does what to win the game. If KU is ahead when the, when the clock hits triple zero in the fourth quarter, that's all that matters. No, yeah, they're absolutely not going to be mad about, you know, however you get a win, you do it. But I guess that's the question. Do you need Jalen Daniels to do it? You get the win, right? It's, it's I guess, one of those kind of chicken and egg things. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some audio with Jared Casey speaking to the media over the weekend. We'll play that for you coming up next. Matt Tate joins us in less than 20 minutes. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. That time on a Tuesday, joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. You know, Matt, I, I know this isn't the most important thing. And if they get to the end goal, whether it's in three, four, five years down the road, it doesn't really matter about what happened along the path in this regard. And, and also, we know that progress isn't always linear. Like, you could have six wins one year, four the next, then eight the next. It's not always a, a gradual incline. But what do you think is needed of the team uh, to keep at least like the fan base and people from the outside feeling like there is 
not just some positive momentum, but you know, trying to, to trying to rekindle the flames of all that positive momentum you garnered by the way you finished last season. Like, what would it have to look like this season for KU to feel that momentum going forward and, and maybe even grow on where it was last year? Yeah, you know, obviously everybody's going to point to wins, a, a win total, and and I understand that, but I don't I don't necessarily think that's the right way to go about it. I think that you're setting yourself up for a little bit of disappointment because the the, the schedule's so hard. I mean, it, you know, they they could and I think we've talked about this, but they can they can take steps forward. They can be a better team. This can be a positive year and they could win the same amount of games or or maybe only one more, you know. It's not like it's not like they need to jump up to four, five, six wins just to show that. I mean, I think there's there's a little bit of, of risk in tying it all to that. So, um, you know, having said that, I, I think I think a good start is important. Um, you know, I, I think that obviously winning that first game at home, but doing it convincingly and and showing some fun, right? I mean, it's uh, it, it, it's this offense. There's a lot to like. It's year two. There's there's some playmakers there. There's some unknowns too, but. You know, it's 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 not that different than like Russell Wilson in Denver, right? Like Denver, as you know, I'm you had Broncos to bring that fan. up. You had to bring. I had up. to. I had to. But it's like <laughs> it, it is. There's there's a there's a parallel there because for for five years in the post Peyton era, Denver fans watched just absolute trash offenses. I mean, they you know they were lucky if they could get to 21 points, and they had quarterbacks that didn't inspire any kind of excitement. And now all of a sudden you got Russell Wilson. So. You know, it, it, it's a little bit like that for Kansas. I mean, you know, Jalen Jalen Daniels isn't that caliber player yet. Um, I'm not even comparing the two, you know, apples to apples. I'm just saying relatively at, at the level he's at. Um, but he's exciting. He, he had a strong finish. There, there's reason to believe he could be a shot in the arm for this offense. So it has to be, you know, a fast start in the sense that they go out and, and pound Tennessee Tech, but they also do it in a way that's fun for people to watch. Um, and then after that, I think, you know, you've got to be two and two after after four at least, uh, which means coming home and beating Duke if you don't, if you don't win at West Virginia or at Houston. And, and those are both really tough, tough games, as we've talked about, too. So, um if that's sort of your baseline, you know, a fast start in week one and then and then maybe a little bit of showing some competitiveness in those two road games and then coming home and, and following that up with maybe even a, you know, three-touchdown win over Duke or something to, to show people like, hey, yeah, we, we took a couple of losses out there on the road, but those are good teams and, and we're back home now and, and we're, we're playing somebody that we should beat and we're going to punish them, you know. Now you go out and win – 38 17 or something like that you know so I, I think that's i know this is very specific but i think that's a, a part of the equation um and then i think to be completely honest with you i think the other important piece and, and maybe the most important piece is a, a carbon copy of last year which is have november be your best month and whether that means you win a game there or not it, you know that that's that's a challenge and it's going to be tough with that schedule and all of that, but just go play your best football, be in games, you know, push people, put a little fear into some big 12 opponents. And, and again, if you finish on a high note in terms of being competitive and looking good, like a football team should look, that's, that's, you know, desiring to be a competitive, you know, 
program that builds and is on its way up, then then that's what people will remember. And then at year three, you can start maybe looking at the win total a little bit more seriously and saying, okay, well, now there's two years of that. That's no longer good enough. Now it's, now it is about wins. You know, now you have to take that and go to the next step. But I, I think two years of, of, you know, showing that you, you improve as the season goes on and, and playing your best football down the stretch, win or lose, I, I think that's totally fair. And I think that will, will you know, keep most people – um, interested and keep most people kind of feeling good about it because I take it all the way back to those Bill Whittemore teams and, and, you know, with Nick Reed and, and those guys, they weren't bull eligible right away. Um, they, they didn't, they didn't make that big splash immediately, but you saw with some of their early teams, you saw a, a team that was competitive. You saw the Mark Mangino stamp being put all over that thing. And it was guys that, that fought and played hard and didn't back down from anything and competed to the, to the end of the clock. And, and, and you kind of knew then that, that something was coming. I mean, obviously no one knew the orange bowl thing was coming, but, but you, you did get that sense that, Hey, this is, this is the right direction to go in. And, and so I, I think that this, what's happened in camp so far and, and being around that, that's kind of what I feel like we're headed toward with this, with this second Lance Leipold team. And, and, you know, that's, that's not a given. It's certainly easier to say than to do, um, but they and they have to go out and do it. But but I feel like that's what's coming. Talking with Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World here, KUSports dot com. Uh, which of these do you think would be a more beneficial path to, I guess, building that momentum? KU starting three and zero with a top twenty five win over Houston, and then losing the next nine games. But you would win three. You would still be a, a one win increase from last year, and you would have a top twenty five win under your belt and early season, you know, success and everything. Or KU starting 0-10 with a loss to Tennessee Tech, but then winning the last two games, including winning at Kansas State to finish the season. Oh, my God. I was going to jump on the first one without you even saying the second one because 3-0 and is insane to think about. Um, but then I let you talk because normally I don't do that, but I let you talk, and uh, I decided to hear you out, and then it got really hard. Um, but it's, it's still not hard. I mean, the difference between three and O and, and starting O and one with a loss to Tennessee tech is astronomical. I mean, mean, right. What, what would the feeling if they lose with, with all the transfers they brought in, the momentum they have going and the goodwill that they have, if they lose that first game to Tennessee tech. I mean, I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like here in Lawrence. That's right. I mean, it's over. Checked out. Everybody's done. Uh, Lance's credibility shot. And, and, you know, then they'd have to win like five games for anybody to buy back in, I think, um, at least from the fan base perspective. So you can't afford that. So because of that, I think you have to take the, the first option. And, and, and look, I mean, you know, again, the Big 12's tough. Like, this is this, anybody expecting KU to win a game, let alone more than one, is, is really just not seeing clearly right now. I mean, it, this is a tough conference, and KU's got a large gap that it needs to close and so you'd take three and oh every day of the week i mean yeah especially because one of those would be a, a big 12 win and one would be obviously a top 25 win i mean yeah you, you, just to see what that would feel like now you're right 
the, the, the nine straight losses to end the season would probably hit hard and be very disappointing to most fans. Um, but, boy, that first month would be a hell of a lot of fun, and, and people would really get excited about it. And I think then it would depend from there. It would depend on what those nine losses look like. I mean, are you losing 56 to 10 in every one of those, or are you competitive in half of them? If you're competitive in half of them, even if you lose, you know, then so be it. You're three and nine with with another four games that that were competitive and and you had a hell of a start and and you showed something that no one's been able to show in Lawrence, Kansas, in forever. That that you can start fast and you can win tough games. So I, I think yeah, you'd have to sign up for that right now. Um, if if for no other reason, then you just can't take that. You can't take what comes from that loss to Tennessee Tech. It's just that that would be, like I said, too much to overcome for for so many reasons. And uh, and it'd be, you know, at this point, last year there was a little bit of a pass, right? I mean, it was year one and hired late, new personnel, and all that stuff. But but at this point, no one's giving you a pass on that game. Uh, you have to win it. Uh, you know, I believe those games, uh, you know, first of all, I think they should have three of them on their schedule. Um, and they, you know, they should try to do whatever they can to make that happen because then that gives you that chance. But the schedule just sucks. I mean, it's just a bad, bad year to have a an unlucky schedule, you know, where, where you've got that weird Big 12 game thrown in there early and then a tough road game of all things against a really good Houston team. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not ideal. There are definitely better schedules out there for, for a year two of a, of a new coach. But, um, you know, he won't make any excuses, and neither will the players. And, and, and I think as much as anything, as much as you couldn't probably talk me out of predicting one and two to start, um, I think these guys will look at it as what a hell of an opportunity they have, you know. And if that means win one of those games or if that just means show you're competitive in those two games, you do that and, and, and things change quickly. The perception changes, um, the belief within the program changes and, and, uh, and then you got to go, you know, back it up. But, but that would certainly give you a, a good vibe toward doing that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy how important that first month is and, and not lost on anybody is the fact that the first month is really the only month on the football schedule where basketball doesn't interfere, right? Uh, there are no basketball games. There is no late night. September is purely about football. And so um, they get that chance to, to try to captivate and, and capture the audience. And, and if they do that, then good things can come from that. And if they don't, then the natural thing around here is everybody says, well, here we go. Time to time to watch a new banner come down and get excited about Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller and, and you know, they'll do it. So it's a big month, no question about it. And it's only a couple weeks away now. Crazy. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that's very interesting if we just boiled it down to would beating K-State have a bigger impact than losing to Tennessee Tech yeah, would, would have yeah, a negative right. impact between those two. And I don't know. It's going to be tough. Like, how do you beat a Tennessee Tech team when you've already named your starting quarterback and they know which quarterback to prepare for? I just I can't envision uh, how Kansas <laughs> would overcome that. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Let's. I mean, right? You know, and you've been around. I know. Uh, not only in the past, but also this camp, you've seen Lance playing around with the quarterback thing, and it's fun to watch. I mean, this is a guy who he's very serious. He, he's he's not sleeping much. He's taking this 
very, very seriously. He knows the stakes. He knows what's at task here. He knows how hard the job he has in front of him. But it's cool to see him still having fun with that because he's been. I mean, how many times have you heard him, you know, joke with us about the quarterback? I mean, he made a joke about the before the presser started. I think it was last week. Um, maybe it was the week before, but he made a joke about, you know, did you guys see uh, Caleb Williams is named the starter at USC? You know, like, I mean, that's hilarious. That, that's, there's enough looseness in this guy that, that gives you the belief that he's hanging in there and, and this job isn't, isn't eating him alive just yet and, and that maybe he's wired differently enough for, for for some success to come out of this thing because he's having fun with it and these guys are buying in and they're working hard and they're playing their butts off and and now it's about results i mean you know you can technique and you can scheme and you can plan and you can motivate and you can coach up and you can do all those things in in nine months of the year but when it's september october november you got to get results and uh and and for kansas that does mean wins. That, that's what results are. Everybody knows that. But but Kansas is judged just a little differently, I think, at least at this point. And it can be about more than just the win-loss total, um, at least for this year. Again, after, after this year, I think it goes back to that being the, the, the number one factor. But right now, how do you play? How do you look? Is, is it coming? Can you see it coming? And uh, we'll find out here soon. So it, it's going to be really, uh, really interesting and, and a lot of fun in September because uh, I guarantee, and you know this as well as I do, these guys believe they're going to get off to a great start. And if they do, um, boy, that'll be something to talk about. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, like uh, beating K-State is always the thing, right? That's like the number one dream of, of every KU fan out there. and and uh, I'm sure they would take that any year, but would you take it with a loss to Tennessee Tech? I, I don't know if you can say yes to that. I don't, I don't know if you'd even get to the K-State game if you lose to Tennessee <laughs> Tech. So, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. But but leave it to you to make these tough. That's what you do. It's 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 your thing. It's what you're known for. It's why you're good at what you do. And, and I'm telling you, I was going to interrupt you. When you said 3-0, and I was going to say, just stop. I'll take that. And then... <laughs> And then I had to listen through it, and it, it got tough. So uh, good stuff. I, I'm I'm eager to see what this team looks like, though. It's it's uh, it, it's always fun. Camp's fun to cover. The, the September's always fun, and and whether you think they're going to be any good or not, it's always interesting and exciting to see. You know, a new look. What do they look like this time around? Because we've seen a lot of bad. Uh, you got to figure out one of these. At one of these breaks, it's going to end up being something that looks good. And, and, you know, again, I don't know what the win total will be. I'm not going to predict more than two or three, but um, I still think it'll be a better-looking football team. He is Matt Tate. You can check out his work in the LJ World and the KUSports.com. Before we let you go, though, who, who do you have more hope for uh, the rest of the season here? So Ryan Goodwin's going to be going in trivia coming up after this segment. And uh, you mentioned Russell Wilson there. Who do you have more hopes for what this season could look like the rest of the way? Ryan Goodwin or Russell Wilson? Oh man, Russ for sure. Listen, <laughs> I've known I've known Goody way too long to to to. Now there are some other names you could have thrown out there that I might have taken Goody, but but probably not. I mean, I've known him way too long. You know, I, I think he's a, a hell of a competitor. I think he's he's resilient. He's been knocked down his whole life and keeps getting back up. So. Uh, whatever happens later today, you know, it, 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 it won't be the end for him, but, um, but 
I mean, you know, this is Russell Wilson we're talking about. This is this is uh, this is probably the best quarterback in the AFC. No, oh, I didn't say. Whoa! That. Sorry, I, better, I better stop right there. Yeah, I'm going to cut you <laughs> off on the phone here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But as a Broncos fan, it's it's sure exciting to have a quarterback that you actually think can complete some passes and and maybe win some games. So I, I you know, that's part of it too, right? Like, hey, football's fun to cover, and I, I the excitement of the the beginning of a season is always there and all that, but. Um, but just the beginning of football season is, is what's so exciting to me. I mean, as a Broncos fan, that's always been cool, except for maybe the last few years. Um, Lawrence High and Free State, always fun. Love to watch those teams grow and develop and see what they've got on Friday nights. Um, and, and then fantasy football. I'm going out to Vegas again this year for another fantasy draft um, after a successful stint out there last year. So, I mean, it's just – it's a great time of year. There's no question about it. And it would be cool if either Kansas or Ryan Goodwin would, would you know, carry their weight and, and add to the fun here in the early part of the football season. So I'm going to have to go with Russell Wilson to your answer. But, you know, don't, don't ever count Goody out no matter what happens today, next week, next year, whatever. He'll survive. I love it. I love it. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man. And uh, we'll see you around at some KU football stuff and talk to you next week. All right, Derek. Thanks, man. Take care. That was Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. RCST Trivia starts next. We've got two matchups today for RCST Trivia. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. And we've got Brad Wandell, who is 1-2 on the season. 13 points scored for him. Had a nice little week last week, although it was a loss, but... Put up a solid 10 points. Ryan Goodwin is 2-0. He scored 32 points through his first two, 35 if you include the overtime. But some controversy here. Ryan was uh, ranked number one in our poll. He dropped all the way to number six. So I don't know if you saw that, Ryan. But uh, we had a new pollster come into the voting. This is, you know, the equivalent, uh, I said yesterday, of uh, you go from the AP poll over the first portion of the season, and then at one point the college football playoff comes in, and they – add their rankings and it just kind of changes a bunch of stuff up um you still did get a first place vote but dropping to number six so do you feel like you have a chip on your shoulder do you feel relieved that you don't have the pressure what are kind of your thoughts uh with your ranking uh well actually, I actually have a unique perspective on this Derek because I'm actually I'll be going in my third year as a pollster for the NEIA baseball uh top 25 poll and I know that mid-season pollsters can kind of lose their minds and not be as educated on, on some of the teams as they can. And, and they'll try and play with the rankings and, and they'll get a little agenda driven on some stuff. So uh, having that experience, I know don't worry about polls. Polls don't matter. You go win games, everything else handles itself. Yeah. And to be clear, the polls really don't matter. I mean, the only thing they will matter is whoever wins the division, it'll be seated. So the polls, I guess, matters there, but if you win your division, you know, you just take care of business from there. It's uh, a little more like the NFL in that way. It's kind of a mix, I guess, of, of the two. So it really doesn't matter, but certainly controversy uh, would be the same. Like I said, you still got a first place vote. So uh, I don't know. Uh, Brad, meanwhile, you uh, are trying to bounce back after, two straight losses, but had a, a better week last week than the week prior. Do you feel like you're headed uh, with some positive momentum into this matchup? Well, it's all about the questions you get. So if you're only as good as the next question you get. That's what it boils down to. Sounds like Ryan has been on his game. 
I've got my work cut out for me, and I'm it's going to take a UMBC over Virginia type upset to pull this one out. But we're going to give it our best shot here. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm trying to think. I think Brad, this will be your your last at least regular season matchup of the event. So. Um, if you come away with a win, I, I believe that that keeps you in line for a possibility of maybe making a bull bid. Obviously, I've said this. I haven't said it lately, but if you finish top three in the division, then you uh, at the very least clinch a spot and get automatic bid. You don't have to worry about you know pre-registering or anything like that. You just get the bid for next year's edition. So uh, a win would certainly do you your favors there. Um, but otherwise, you'll be uh, sitting at a one and three, which I believe would eliminate you from postseason contention. Um, meanwhile, for Ryan, if you get a win today, we have Justin Nichols going in the matchup after you. You win today and Justin loses, you would clinch the division. But if you win today and Justin wins, then that matchup next week certainly is going to be uh, very interesting so to speak. So a lot on the line for this week's edition between Ryan and Brad and uh, Brad, this being your final regular season matchup, I'll give you the coin toss. Do you want heads or tails? Let's go heads. All right. Tails it is. So Ryan, you have won the toss. Would you like to go first or go second? Let's go first. Okay. Right off the bat for you, Ryan into the easy round first quarter of play. These are worth three points. The 1908 Jayhawks finished 9-0, wrapping up the season with a 10-4 victory over what rival from a neighboring state? Got to be Missouri, right? Yes, that is Missouri. You hear the numbers on that, the 1908, 10-4, <laughs> and why is this in the easy round? That's why you get the context, rival from a neighboring state. Okay, uh, which, by the way, what a weird score, 10-4. Okay, Brad, this one for you. For three points in the first quarter to try to tie the score. What future member of the Big 12 did the 2005 Jayhawks beat in the Fort Worth Bowl 42 to 13? Ah, uh, that had to have been Houston, right? That was Houston. That's okay. correct. Yep, Houston with uh, Kevin Cobb was the answer there, and they put a beat down on them. Kind of similar to how KU got a little beat down to NC State a few years prior in uh, oh, yeah. that whole game. Okay, so it is three to three. We're all tied up. We'll head into the second quarter of play into the medium round of questions. These are worth six points for you, Ryan. In what season, uh, coming off the turn of the century, so 2000 or later, in what season did Kansas average their most total yards per game with nearly 480 of them. So anytime in the 2000s. Yep. 2007. That is correct. Orange Bowl season. Don't need to overthink that one. 2007 was the most total yards per game for Kansas. Sorry, right, six points for you there. Nine to three, the lead. Brad, back to you for six. In what season, again, coming after the turn of the century, so in the 2000s, did Kansas average their most total points per game with nearly 43 of them? It's got to also be 2007. Well, 2008, 2009, they had some big numbers as well, but you are correct. 2007 is the correct answer there. So uh, not a ton of drama on either of those, but 9-9 nine to nine the score. We head into the third quarter of play are worth seven points in the hard round. Ryan, back to you. 
KU trailed Baylor 31 to 30 in overtime in a 2011 game after scoring a touchdown. And then they decided to go for two and to go for the win. The play was unsuccessful. It was a pass from Jordan Webb to what player? Jemay Mundine. Not a bad guess. It is another tight end. Does the name Tim Beer mean anything to you? It does. It does. Yeah. All right. So, Brad, you have an opportunity to take the lead headed into the fourth quarter here. This is a seven-pointer for you. In KU's 2013 season opening win over South Dakota, what Jayhawk defensive lineman had an interception that he returned 10 yards? Interception returned 10 yards. D lineman. Um, shoot. Um, totally at a loss. I'm going to say. One second. Hampton. It is Keon Stowers, the correct answer there. All right. That one rung a bell. Keon Stowers, the famous highlight there. All right. So, Ryan, you were sweating that one out. I could tell. But, uh, yes. Nine to nine headed into the fourth quarter. So, either somebody's going to win it here or we're going to have overtime. These are worth eight points in the really hard question. Ryan, in KU's 2013 lone Big 12 victory over West Virginia. What Jayhawk receiver led the team in the game with two catches? I'm going to say Tony Pearson. Not a bad guess. He was uh, on that team and certainly one of the better receivers, receiver running back type. The correct answer is Christian Matthews. Christian Matthews. All right, Brad, you got a chance to pull the top 10 upset and get quite the big victory here. And this would uh, certainly send shockwaves into the trivia universe here. Brad, for you and the win. In KU's 2013 lone Big 12 win over West Virginia, what Jayhawk receiver led the team in the game with 19 receiving yards. Justin McKay. Also not a bad guess. I don't know if he would have arrived at that point yet, but the correct answer is Andrew Terzilli. Andrew okay. Terzilli. So uh, quite the crop of receivers there. And we are tied. They're heading to overtime. Nine to nine the score. And uh I gave Brad the first coin toss to Ryan. I'm going to give you the second coin toss here. Do you want heads or tails? I'll go heads. All right, heads it is. It is heads. So, Ryan, you've won the coin toss. Ryan, you won your first trivia matchup uh, by going second. The first guy, which was Blake, missed the first question. You got to answer an easy. Blake, or, or Brad, meanwhile, won his first overtime matchup. Uh, he did it by answering a, I believe, medium question, and then the next guy missed the hard so um, both of you guys want to know in overtime. Ryan, do you want to go first or second here? I'll go second. Okay. So we're going to switch orders. Brad, that means you are up first. Just to reiterate here, that means you now have the choice 
of what category you want to answer questions in easy medium hard or really hard and then ryan will have the chance to either match try to do better than you or if you miss the question all he'll have to do is answer in easy so brad what category of question do you want to go in well i figure he's probably going to hit at least a medium so i'm going to have to go for a medium okay i'm going to go for a medium okay medium it is this one for you brad how many games did Kansas win in 2011, the final year of Turner Gill? Two. They went two and ten. That's right. Two and ten. Quick answer there and a big one at that. Brad scoring six points in overtime. So now, tough decision for you, Ryan. Um, do you go for the medium to try to force double OT or do you go for the hard and the victory? Let's go for the medium. All right. Medium. I don't think we've had a double overtime game, so this could be exciting. If you answer this question correctly, Ryan, how many games did Kansas win in 2012, the first year of Charlie Weiss? One. That's right. One is the correct answer. And we have our first double overtime matchup. It's exciting. So now the order just flips over. So now, Ryan, you're going to get to go first in double OT. What category would you like to choose from? Let's stay in the medium. Okay. Sticking in the medium here for you, Ryan. After transferring in from Notre Dame, this quarterback led the Jayhawks in 2012 with over 1,300 passing yards and four touchdowns. Dane Christ. Dane Christ is the correct answer. That was uh, big time for KU when they got him and uh, didn't end up having as good of a, a season or career at KU as one might have hoped. Okay, so now, Brad, you trail by six. Same decision for you. Do you want to stick it in the medium round or do you want to try to go up a level and try to earn the victory? I've only hit one hard so far, so medium is my best shot. Go for tie again. Okay, so into the medium round, back we go. Brad, you got to hit this to stay alive. This junior running back led that 2012 Jayhawk team in rushing yards with over 1,000 in addition to his nine rushing scores. What's his name? 2012. Oh, boy. Was it James Sims? It was James Sims, and the marathon matchup continues. This is turning into that LSU-Texas A&M game from a few years ago. So now we are tied. I've lost track of the score at this point. I think it's like 21-21. Um, all tied up, headed into third overtime, and it rotates back. Brad, you have the pick. Do you want to stay in medium or choose something else? We're going to stay in medium. All right, staying in medium. Here we go. All right, Brad, for you. After earning All-American honors... This KU offensive tackle was drafted in the fourth round of the 2008 NFL Draft and would enjoy a seven-year NFL career. Oh, man. Uh, Collins. It was Collins. It was Collins. Anthony Collins, the correct answer there. And now, Ryan, once again, the decision is yours. Do you want to go for the win or keep the marathon matchup alive? Uh, let's stay in the medium. Okay, into the medium we go. Ryan, a teammate of Anthony Collins. This KU tight end was also a fourth-round pick in the 2008 NFL Draft by the Buffalo Bills. Derek Fine. Derek Fine, the correct answer. Love the first name. And we are tied 27-all into fourth overtime we go. Ryan, we sticking in the medium or are we going to something else? Let's stay in the medium. All right, staying in the medium. Ryan, 
on October 4th, 2008, Kansas overcame a 20 to nothing deficit to earn a 35-33 road win over what conference foe? Ten seconds. Oklahoma. That is incorrect. The correct answer is Iowa State. And just like that, Brad, you have an opportunity to get the win with just any correct answer here. So I'm assuming you want to go into the easy round. Big pressure, easy question, but let's go for it. All right, Brad, for the big upset here, what head coach took over for Mark Mangino after being hired from Buffalo in 2010. Turner Gill. That is correct. Turner Gill, the correct answer. And uh, you did to Ryan what he did in his previous overtime matchup. First guy gets it wrong. All you got to do is answer that easy question. That is a tough one for you, Ryan, on the loss. You still have everything in front of you because if you beat Justin next week, then uh, you could still come away with the win. But now certainly we could get some weird tiebreakers in order. Uh, I do believe, though, if you beat Justin Nichols next week, though, you would clinch the division regardless because that would get you to three and one. It would give Justin at least his second loss, and you would have the head-to-head tiebreak over Blake. So yeah, you still control your own destiny, which is good, but uh, disappointing. What are your thoughts after this uh, marathon matchup? Yeah, uh, I probably should have tried to go for one of the hard questions earlier. I just kept thinking, you know, if I could keep him in the mediums and then, you know, one pops up that, ironically, I don't know, so – or couldn't think come up with the answer on so you know it, it always sucks losing I knew coming in you know not everything was lost today and I knew as long as the key matchups next week against Justin but uh you know was kind of hoping to win today and hope Justin lost and have no pressure next week so we'll just see what happens well pressure's on Brad uh like I said I I, I don't know what this will mean you have a chance now finishing top three to earn that secured bid at trivia next year you might still have an outside chance at, at maybe even making it to a bowl game here if if some things go your way at the end of uh, trivia here, but most importantly, even if this is the end for you, that's got to feel good going out on a victory in your uh, last regular season matchup, especially one of this magnitude against this opponent and going to four overtimes. Yeah. I said, I had to pull off that 16 over one type upset and I feel like I pulled it out. It was just the shots for falling today on the medium questions, I guess. Uh, I don't think his strategy was bad. Odds were I was probably going to miss one of those medium questions, but I was lucky that I ended up knowing all of them. So it worked out, and now I get to uh, scoreboard watch, like week 18 NFL, the team trying to win a game that needs three other teams to lose to get into the playoffs, sitting on the couch and uh, eating some Chinese food and enjoying the rest of the day. So that's where we're at. Well, love it, guys. That was, uh, I I think I speak for everyone, best matchup so far. I mean, four overtimes, right? So – we had uh, quite the lengthy one here. But, guys, good job. And, Ryan, we'll see you next week. Yep. See you next right. week. Thanks, guys. We got one more trivia matchup today. It features Justin Nichols and Ryan Schlesner. That on the other side. This is RCST Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny Stavrin. Well, coming off that four-overtime matchup, see how uh, this one does the encore for it as we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. Here for RCST Trivia on Rock Shock Sports Talk, we have a, another top 10 team with Justin Nichols. He's going to be taking on Ryan Schlesner. And for Justin, sitting at 1-1 one and one now 
on the season, coming off a bye week, 34 points scored. Ryan at 0-2 with 12 points scored. Um, Ryan, I'm going to start with you here. You, uh, you know, we talked last week that you were awaiting uh, the birth of a baby. So uh, the baby has been born, correct? Have you have you picked the name for the new baby? Yeah, we've got a two-day-old Vivian sleeping. At, well, not really sleeping. She's trying to sleep right now, but yeah, she's here in the house. So a beautiful name. And uh, hopefully we don't wake her up along the way in trivia here. Um, Justin, uh, you come off that bye a week ago. What are your kind of feelings and, and thoughts headed into this matchup here after you did have that week off? Did you use it to get well rested or did you uh, do you feel a little rusty now? You used it to get away for a little bit, um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm probably, I'm hoping I'm going to be ready to go, but I also know the strength of a new father uh, and, and what that can look like. So congratulations, Ryan. Um, and uh, that, that's an intimidating thing to be up against now to, to know that, you know, I'm sure he's going to be laser focused because of it. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, I'm sure had all sorts of time to, to just study for this competition and nothing else. But, you know, there's that uh, correlation between I, I know they do this on like the PGA Tour and golf, like guys who just have a kid. It's insane how many they like win the tournament or like do really well, finish like top five or something the next week. So so maybe that'll happen for Ryan here. But, Justin, certainly you have an opportunity here with a win to uh, tighten things up at the top of the Tuesday division here and set up a really interesting matchup over the final week, which next week you'll be taking on Ryan Goodwin for your uh, back-to-back finish against a pair of Ryans here. So, uh, Ryan Schlesner, I am, as you are a new father, going to give you the uh, coin toss. Do you want heads or tails? Uh, Let's take tails today. All right. It is heads. So, fatherhood has not changed your luck of the coin. Um, Justin, would you like to go first or go second? I'll go second. Okay, Ryan, that means you are up first. We'll start in the easy round. These are worth three points in the first quarter. Ryan, name this Jayhawk corner who led the 2006 team with six interceptions. Akib Talib. Yep, wasn't just the Orange Bowl year. Akib Talib was just really good every year. He was at Kansas, and Ryan on the board with his first three points. Now to you, Justin. This for three points as well. Name this Jayhawk quarterback who led the 2007 Jayhawks with 33 passing touchdowns. Todd Yep, another easy one. Again, Todd Reeson continues to be the most, uh, I don't know, used easy question, I would say. Everybody knows Todd. Okay, into the media round. These are worth six points. This one back to you, Ryan. In KU's 36-game losing streak ending win, so they had a 36-game losing streak, snapped it with their win over Nebraska in 2005. The Jayhawks had two running backs in that game total 100 or more yards. Name one of the two. In in the 2005 game against Nebraska? Correct. Uh, John Cornish? That is one of them. John Cornish. The other is Clark Green. Either one of those would have worked there. Okay, Justin, back to you. For six points, the Tide at nine headed into the halftime break. The 2007 Jayhawks had three games where the defense collected five turnovers. Name one of the three opponents. Uh, 
uh, we'll go with uh, Nebraska. Yep, Nebraska is one of them. The other ones were Baylor, who was really bad in the Big 12. They kind of were where Kansas is at right now. And uh, Florida International were the other ones. That would have been the tough one to get there. But, yeah, Nebraska was the, I guess, more obvious one um, that happened there. And that helped snap the 36-game losing streak to the Huskers. Okay, 9-9 to the score into the third quarter. To the hard round, these are worth seven. Back to you, Ryan. Outside of Todd Reesing, who was the only other Jayhawk to throw a pass in the 2008 Orange Bowl? I feel like Carrie Meyer's too obvious, but I'm going to be kicking exactly. myself if I don't guess that and it's wrong. Uh, Three, two, go Jake Sharp. The correct answer is Brandon McAnderson. Brandon McAnderson, the correct answer there. The uh, running back for KU. And uh, Justin, based on your reaction, just watching you on the Zoom, it felt like you knew it, but... We're going to see with this next question. Justin, McAnderson's pass was a 22-yard completion on a fake punt thrown by BMAC to what Jayhawk, who now works as a filmmaker? Michael Brown. Okay. So you knew it. You knew it the whole way, right? I did. Okay. That was a big play in the Orange Bowl, certainly. Michael Brown, the catch from Brandon McAnderson. So that gives Justin a 16-9 to lead here. Ryan, you got to hit this one in the really hard round. It's worth eight points. If you hit it, you take the lead. And uh, we're also calculating really hard questions. So uh, that puts you uh, up in the leaderboard and everything. Okay, Ryan, for you. On November 4th, 1950, what Jayhawk rusher ran for a then KU record of 239 rushing yards in a 39-26 win over Utah? These aren't necessarily my uh, strong suit of expertise. Uh, Ten seconds. Ray Evans. That's kind of like the the Wilt Chamberlain answer. Sometimes just toss out Ray Evans. There's a good chance it might actually end up being right. The correct answer of this one, though, is Wade Stinson Jr., Okay, so, Justin, you have secured another victory. You're going to move to 2-1 and one after this one. Points are a tiebreaker, though, so you want to get as many as uh, possible outside of head-to-head. So, Justin, a chance here, and this would also, I believe, give you three really hards, which uh, I think would be the most in the competition right now. So, Justin, this Jayhawk helped open up holes for that running game in 1950 and was a two-time all-conference pick once in 1950, once in 1951, while also playing defensive tackle and punter. What's his name? I have no idea. (laughs) 10 seconds. Um, Curtis McClinton. Correct answer there is George Merconic. 
don't know if it's Merconich or Merconic, but uh, that is the correct answer there. So, in the end, Justin, you come away with a 16-9 to victory, and that puts you in a uh, three-way tie for first in your division, all teams at 2-1. and one. So, it just comes down to points. Eventually, head-to-head will uh, certainly play in here as well, though. Uh, but, Justin, nice little win once again. So, did you feel like you were able to shake off the rust pretty easily coming off the bye week? I think I got lucky with the right questions being asked um, and uh, just happening to, you know, I just happened to remember Micah Brown catching that pass. So that that was just lucky on my part. Um, just glad to, glad to push through another week. Did you remember that it was Brandon McAnderson who threw it? I did. Okay. I did. Um, but that's, you know, that, that's still, that's luck that, just happens to be a play that I remember uh, more because of Micah and being kind of friendly with him than anything. Ryan, was there was there a question that Justin got that, that you would have known the answer to had they uh, been switched up a little bit? No, uh, I think that was just kind of the way it was going to be. Uh, BMAC was my second option there. I knew I wasn't going to guess Kerry Meyer because it was way too obvious, and I thought the most next most likely would be a running back and uh, picked the wrong one, so just the way it goes. Yep. Sometimes you can have a, a good process to get around to your answer, but just doesn't come up your way. Well, Ryan, congratulations on fatherhood, man. I know that's more important than this, but uh, we'll see you next week for your final regular season matchup. And Justin, uh, you're going to have a chance next week taking on Ryan Goodwin to possibly win the division. It kind of depends on, on some other stuff that happens, but uh, good luck to both you guys next week. Thanks, man. Thanks a so bunch. Congratulations, Ryan. Thank you. So Justin, with a 16-9 to win, he is now – two and one on the season and he has scored 50 points in regulation and uh Blake Farrell is two and one with 56 points in regulation Blake though beat Justin Ryan Goodwin is two and one with 41 points in regulation but Ryan beat Blake so right now Ryan would be in front of Blake Blake would be in front of Justin as far as the standings go but if Justin beats Ryan next week, then he moves in front of him. And then Blake is possibly sitting there going, you know, if I if I win my matchup next week and Justin beats Ryan, then both of us would be three and one and I would have the head to head. So uh, there, there could be a lot of chaos here in this Tuesday group, both in terms of who wins the division and in terms of who gets that number two spot to make it to a bowl game. And uh, that'll certainly be interesting to watch for next week in a highly contested division. All our divisions are hotly contested right now. This is RCST Trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. We're going to take a time out when we come back. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us on the other side. Welcome back in to RCST. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer here. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, joining us here on the show. So, Kevin, uh, KU gets a commit from Case and Wiseman last week. We know Ethan Vasco joining the program as a, a freshman quarterback here. They also have Ben Easters, redshirted last year. And then, um, obviously, with Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean, both guys would be done by the time this question I'm about to ask you uh, would occur. So, Kevin, uh, I know you know some people are focused on who's going to be the starting quarterback for week one of this season. Forget that. Who's going to be KU's starting quarterback in 2025? Oh gosh, that's uh, that. We're not expecting that today, were you? <laughs> no, no, I, I was not expecting that question. I, I think 
There, one of the best things that you can do at the quarterback position is really to just go ahead and, you know, sort of stockpile assets, if you will. You know, and it's, it's funny because heading into last year, I think just about all of us felt like Jason Bean was the, the favorite to win the starting job with the way he came in. You know, Daniels had started some games the previous season, but was still really young and maybe needed a little bit of time to season it. And then you have Bean get hurt in the middle of the season, and Daniels comes in and plays the way that he does. He he was one of the Big 12's best quarterbacks over the last three weeks, and that was a small sample size. But as we've talked about before, I think he was, what, first in the conference in accuracy over those three games. I think he was second in touchdowns responsible for and third in ESPN's, you know, total QBR rating. And so you just want to have as many of those guys that you feel good about it as possible. And I think, especially in the last two years, Kansas has done a really nice job of getting young guys to fill that spot. I think that Ethan Vasco is maybe a little bit more, um, has a little bit more arm strength. You know, he's, He's a little bit bigger, I feel like. You know, there's maybe a, maybe a little bit more, you know, just raw physical talent there. I think Wiseman is is maybe the better runner of the two. I think Wiseman's more accurate, probably. You know, makes a lot of throws with touch. And, and so I think that Kansas has a, a really good way to go, whether it's either one of those two. That, that really emerges. The thing with Wiseman is he's he's just such a gamer. And, you know, the Kansas coaching staff has talked about what they look for in quarterbacks. And they want a middle infielder, Derek. They want a guy who is going to scoop up the ground ball, handle the ball quickly, get the ball out, and get it out accurately. They want a bendy, flexible athlete, you know, who can make plays when everything breaks down. Because let's be honest, Nothing against Kansas's offensive line, but you don't tend to block everybody at Kansas. And so having a quarterback who can do what Jalen Daniels did on the last play against Texas, where he eludes the rush, makes the throw back across his body for the, the game-winning two-point conversion, there's a lot of value in that. And I think that both Vasco and Wiseman have shown that ability to really make plays and extend plays and, and elude pressure and and make things happen both with their legs and with keeping their heads up and and finding guys to throw the ball to after the pocket breaks down. Well, yeah, and who knows? Maybe there will be some some new quarterback in that we don't even know about right now. There, that, there uh, might be. Right. There might be. There might be. You know, in in twenty twenty four, you know, Kansas may go out and, and get some. You know, highly touted touted quarterback guy who wants to, to play in the system. I mean, Kansas moved the ball really well offensively in its last three games. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about this season when you're watching Kansas is, okay, now that Kansas knows what it's doing offensively, right? Like you're not putting in systems in the middle of the season. You're not adding all these plays. Guys know where they're going, generally speaking. If Kansas has the type of year offensively that I think it's capable of having, Kansas could wind up being a fairly attractive destination for quarterbacks or skill position players in that 2024 class. 
So I don't even know if this this works. I don't I don't think he would be eligible by then. But Caleb Williams wins a title at USC, and he says, "What's next for me? I don't want to go pro. I'm gonna transfer to KU and play one last year in 2025." Yeah, yeah. Who knows? It, it could be a transfer. It, it could be a transfer. It could be a high school guy. You know, I I say never say never. You know, okay. it, it's kind of funny. Um, I think that. When you look at, at when Kerry Meyer arrived, he, he's kind of a fun one to look at because he's somebody that people within the state who saw him play, and, and I was one of them, we feel like if he had come out now, you know, he probably would have been receiving similar, you know, sort of recruiting and evaluation kudos and things that Avery Johnson's receiving, who, who's headed to K-State. He probably would have been a four-star prospect, probably would have been a more highly recruited guy. And Kansas was able to get Kerry Meyer. You know, they were coming off a, a bowl in 2003. They got him as a part of the 2005 class, even though they had had kind of offensive struggles the year before. And so you just never really know when that, that big-time quarterback piece is going to come up, either through, you know, the state of Kansas, whether it's somebody that, that wants to come from elsewhere or or now, like you were saying, in the transfer portal, you know, maybe there is somebody out there that just says, you know what, like I can, I can make some hay in that offense, and I could go and do big things there. Talking with Kevin Flaherty here, uh, shifting the focus over to this year's team is there a player who came in last season as part of that freshman class that maybe we didn't get to see a ton of on the field? Maybe they redshirted. Maybe they were just buried on the depth chart or. Maybe they've had a, a big jump of improvement, whether it's you know just working on their body or just understanding the playbook or whatever, uh, that we might see a little more of this year that, that you're high on on what that player could become either in the future or maybe even this season. You know, I, I think, you know, Shad Dabney is a guy that's going to be really in that rotation at cornerback, and, and he was somebody that, that really got a lot of attention Um Coming out of high school, everybody we talked to, even opposing coaches, they were like, "That is, that is a competitive dude." That you know, everybody wants their cornerbacks to be six foot one now and have arms down to their ankles, and he wasn't that. But the way that he battled guys for for fifty fifty balls and things like that, everybody was really attracted to that. But I'll tell you what, Derek, the guys that jump out at me that I think are going to be really interesting to watch as the season goes on are the two defensive tackles from the 2021 class. When you look at DJ Withers, when you look at Tommy Dunn, both of those guys were excellent evaluations by the KU staff when they were able to get those guys. And I think that while Kansas has a lot of experience in that defensive tackle room and they've got a lot of guys I think that Withers and Dunn are, are guys who maybe have better ceilings than those guys, maybe have more top-end talent. And so I don't necessarily expect either of those guys to, hey, it's against Tennessee Tech, you know, here are your, your two starters. But I do think that as the year goes on, if they're able to continue to develop, if they continue to pick up things that, that Jim Panagos is teaching them, and with Kansas going to more of, you know, sort of a one-gap system and a penetrating one-gap system. I think both of those guys are guys to watch. It might not be both of them. It might be, hey, there's only room for one, and so it's it's whether Dunn plays better or Withers plays better. But I would not be a bit surprised if by the time we get to game nine or game ten, 
you're looking at those guys really breaking into the rotation and maybe starting to have some big moments, maybe similar to what we saw from, you know, Marcus Harris a few years back when he was able to kind of grind his way into an opportunity. Okay, kind of building on that, is there a player who did see a good amount of field action last year? And I know Dabney did see, you know, a, a handful amount of time there last year. But sure. Is there another player that maybe fits into that billing of being a young player that you're most interested to see how much they have jumped from last year to this year who did play a lot last year and, and probably expects to play a lot this year as well? I know this may be cheating, but uh, I do think, you know, from that recruiting class, the guy that I'm so interested to see is Devin Neal, right? Because obviously he ended the year on such a high note before getting hurt against TCU and not playing at all in the second half, not playing against West Virginia. And I think that you could make the argument with the way that Devin Neal was playing and even beyond that with all the injuries that Kansas had at the running back position in attrition where they were really down to, to not a whole lot at that position Kansas might have beaten TCU in West Virginia had Devin Neal been healthy and, and been full go. And now you're in a situation where you don't necessarily have to give him 25 or 30 carries because of all the other running backs in that group. You know, you have Kai Thomas, who's a proven player at this level. You've got Savion Morrison, who was a four-star running back. Daniel Hyshaw, you know, ran for what was it, 87, I think, Texas Tech against Texas Tech as a freshman. And he was a high school quarterback who converted over. And so he's a guy that you would expect to see improvement from as he continues to, to kind of move into that running back spot and get more repetitions. And so it's not necessarily that you're going to see Devin Neal get the 25 carries for 100 yards, but what can Devin Neal do with 15 touches? You know, when he's more comfortable – when the offensive line in front of him is more comfortable, I, I think that the sky is really the limit for him. You know, he was a, a great kid. I know you talked to him in high school, you know, just a, a wonderful person has, has, you know, assumed sort of a leadership role with this team, even though he's a younger guy. And so I think that while it may be cheating to say, Hey, this guy who ran for 700 yards as a freshman and was one of the team's best players, that's who you're looking forward to seeing. But I still think that Neil was sort of just scratching that surface at the end of last year, and now that he's back and fully healthy and has more protection where he can you know, be a little bit more fresh and everything, I think that I'm excited to see where he goes. Uh, my co-host Nick, uh, my new co-host here, uh, you know, was talking to me about possibly doing some of these, uh, I-, I guess, match-up, mashups of – you know, if, if you added all these different KU running backs together, what would you pick? What traits would you pick from all these different guys? So if you had to, you know, kind of create a, a chimera of, uh, you know, the KU running back group, Devin Neal's this or Kai Thomas's this, how would you put that together? What would make the perfect KU running back among the guys on the roster? Yeah, I think you'd probably have uh, Devin Neal's, you know, physical traits. You know, Morrison maybe a little bit more uh, – explosive perhaps um i think kai thomas you take the the vision and the balance there i think that's that's really what stands out highshaw runs so physically and so maybe you take highshaw's toughness out of that group and so maybe you go with with sort of devin neal's you know general frame and everything else and he catches the ball well it should be noted too and so you take devin neal you know the the frame the body 
you know, all those different things. You take Savion Morrison's top end speed. You take the, the balance and the vision of Kai Thomas and you take the physicality of Daniel Hyshaw. I think you'd, you'd have a pretty good running back, although it's not exactly the worst thing in the world to have that spread over four different guys that you feel comfortable with getting carries either. Talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here. I've got some uh, cross-team sport either-ors for you here, so this should be fun. Okay. What do we get more of? Bobby Witt Jr. home runs this season. He's currently at 15. It's a number that's still growing. Or Jalen Daniels' total touchdowns. So rushing, passing, I guess if you were to have a receiving touchdown on a trick play. You know, I, I think it's going to be Jalen Daniels' total touchdowns. He had oh. nine over his three starts last year. And so if he plays the full season, I'm not saying he's going to continue at his, you know, three touchdowns a game pace. That's pretty pretty impressive. But at the same time, I, I do think that, you know, Bobby Witt Jr. is probably going to fall short of, say, 25. And it would not surprise me at all if Jalen Daniels were to hit 25 and up on that, uh, on that figure. More Kevin McCuller minutes played. He played a little over 850 last year, but obviously had to deal with injuries. He has had other injuries in his past, though, so maybe that's a a constant theme there. So Kevin McCuller minutes played or Devin Neal rushing yards. Ooh, that, that's a really tough one <laughs> because uh, I I do think you know even with that running back room being what it is, it wouldn't surprise me to see. Devin Neal go for for 900 or a thousand and maybe do it a little bit more efficiently than last year a few more yards per carry etc so I think I'm going to go ahead and go with that one even with McCuller having the injuries last year I just think even if he doesn't have as many injuries this year I think Kansas has the wing depth in basketball to where you know you some of those minutes are probably going to go to MJ Rice you know some minutes may go to Bobby Pettiford in playing a two guard, you know, lineup together. Some may go to Joseph Yesifu playing a two guard lineup together. Some may go to Grady Dick and and so on and so forth. And so I do think that there are maybe a few more pulls at Kevin McCullers Apple than than there might be in Devin Neal's overall carries over the course of the year. What number is higher? Patrick Mahomes, total touchdowns minus interceptions. So he was, he was plus 26 last year, but if you go back to 2020, it was plus 34. Or points allowed per game by the KU defense. Which number's higher? I'm going to go with Mahomes' touchdowns because I, I think that it's going to be closer to the 34 mark, 34, 35, somewhere around there. I, I think you're going to see a little bit of a different Patrick Mahomes. I mean, when you have a weapon like Tyreek Hill, you, you really have to use him. But I thought there were times early last year where maybe that was even to the detriment of, you know, of what he was doing. And then you, you saw him obviously, you know, look super sharp in the preseason game. I think he's going to spread it around to a lot of different targets. I don't think the interception number is going to be as high this year. And the touchdowns could be, you know, higher than they were last year. And so I'm going to go with Mahomes. And I do think the defense makes a, a fairly big jump just because I think that you look at a lot of the positions that were problem spots last year are not nearly as big a problem spots. And even beyond that, Tarek, I feel like Brian Borland was in a position last year with how little they got to coach the team before the season started 
you know, Kansas wasn't very complex last year defensively. And I, I think that with more experience, even with guys who have come from other programs, you know, they've got on-field experience elsewhere. I think Borland's going to have the chance to be a little bit more creative if he chooses to do so this year. And so the combination of talent, comfort, and scheme, and, and even being able to to add a little bit more on top, I do think the defense for Kansas is going to make a, a pretty good leap this year. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work, 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports as well. Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, man. All right. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. We've got some KU football audio, more KU conversation coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Career opportunities from Dr. Heck at the Kansas Center for Sedation Dentistry. Here at Kansas Center for Sedation Dentistry, we actually put our employees first because when our employees are well-loved and well-taken care of, they then can love and take care of our patients. We want to be a 